0: our Savior, our Lord, and our life.
1: Hey again, friends. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm John Russell your host, and I'm here again with my dear friend, Frank Friedman. Frank, it seems like you've been running and gunning like a crazy man this morning.
2: <laughs> life, uh, life is a busy thing in this world. You know, I John, I had a friend of mine years ago who mapped out three weeks of Jesus' life from the Gospels. And when he did that, he wrote to the Israeli government and asked for special permission to walk the walk of Jesus. He went there, this is years ago, and when he got back, I met with him the day after he got home, and I said, man, how was your trip? First words out of his mouth, he said, jesus was a man (laughs) he said i was exhausted following his path (laughs) so the life of christ is uh, not passive it's a it's a busy life (laughs) yes indeed while at rest
1: (laughs) well that's right and i'm sure at all that time jesus was perfectly at rest yeah so lesson for us. We too are so (laughs) equipped, my friend. Yes, sir. Well, dear listeners, if you've been with us for the past, I guess it's been 12 episodes, we've been discussing some really hard topics. Mm. Uh, We've been talking through chapter by chapter, Pastor Frank's latest book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. And if you've listened at all, you've known that some of those topics have taken us into what we like to call the dark trenches of life. And uh, we go there to bring light and truth and freedom in Jesus. So it was a great time, it was a hard time, very stirring time, but today's a different series. We're starting one today that we're gonna call the one another's of scripture. And it's really our take on the body of Christ. What does body life look like? Now I wanna pause for a minute and uh, ask you to turn your brain back to the very first time you walked into a church. Hmm. Okay. Most of us walk into a church building and uh, we come to sing, to praise, to learn, but there are other things that we do too. At least I do. Frank, I know you do too. Hmm. And perhaps some of our listeners do Uh, while we're looking around at all this stuff and listening, the focus Often seems to be on us. You know, did I like the sermon? Do I think the seats are comfortable? Do I like the view from the windows? Wow, did you see how they ignored us today? Uh, And so while we gather together (laughs) to sing and praise and learn, it's sometimes a really mixed
2: bag, isn't it, Frank? Yeah, I think it's very different from what the early church experienced. Of course, none of us was there, but we can read from scripture. We can read from books that were written. And it seemed that the church got together to have a meal together, to fellowship together, to spend time together. It it appears that it was more of a community. In fact, of course, in the book of Acts, they met in homes. They didn't have a building. And yet in our culture, a building is almost a necessity uh, because we are so diversified and and, uh, we have so many different uh, potential opportunities for ministry with modern technology and program and publication and all that kind of thing. And so I think what happens in our modern world, John, is we can become so, you mentioned it, consumer oriented. Uh, that we lose a sense of the fact that the Christ life within us, Matthew 20, is a life that came not to be served, but to serve. And so instead of having a mindset of, what am I gonna get out of this today? Or what did I get out of it? We really ought to be going saying, who can I minister to? Who can I unleash this life that is in me To them, who who we are, those people, and how can I do it? And that's really what this series, I think, is going to be all about.
1: Yes, I think you're right. Um, I've been to a lot of churches in a lot of years since I've been a believer, and very few of them uh, embody that mindset you just described. In fact, in modern life, uh, the church needs to become almost like a, a fully functional cafeteria. Mm -hmm. Uh, to have the right music with the right lights, with the right fog machines. I was about to say smog machines, (laughs) the the right (laughs) fog machines. uh, They have to have all the right ministries, the right kids, the right youth. And it just becomes like an enterprise. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't mean that in a good sense, like the starship enterprise, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm talking about it. It's just, it's just a factory. It's a machine. And Mm -hmm. the church isn't really that. The church isn't a building. It isn't a collection of activities. It's a collection of people who really are hurting people, lonely people. New Testament calls it a body uh, Mm. with lots of parts, each of which is different, each of which is critical. I mean, I love my hands, but I wouldn't want to live without my pancreas. I don't see that. So each is critical, and each plays a unique role together. Uh, to share God's new covenant life. So that's what this series is going to be about because the key word in the new covenant, I believe, is fellowship. Hmm. You mentioned it earlier. They came together in fellowship and it means so much more than than grabbing a chicken dinner. It means communion. It means sharing. It means contribution. It Hmm. means participation. And here's the one that gets most people, Frank, It means intimacy,
2: Hmm.
1: openness, vulnerability, willingness to be hurt. Wow. Uh, When's the last time we really made those as emphases in the modern church?
2: Yes, I think, you know, we have a uniquely... American culture, John, where, you know, we were birthed in a spirit of independence and that spirit of independence, I think is uh, almost uh, a cultural issue for most of us as Americans. We don't really want to depend upon anyone else. We'll do it ourselves. And we almost feel like uh, it's a sting to us if we have to depend upon others. And yet you mentioned that body, the issue of the different parts of a physical body. There's Those parts need each other. Uh, each part not only gives to the other parts, but receives from the other parts. So the church is really not an organization, but an organism. It is vibrant. It is alive, and if I understand the New Testament correctly, John, it's supernatural. Uh, These things that we're going to be looking at are not just a checklist of things that we are to do, but they are really a manifestation of the kind of life that is in us that wants to be expressed through us. Every one of these one another's is really something that Jesus himself did uh, because of his life and who he is. And so the church, when functioning correctly, is uh, just a supernatural organism. And I think what should happen is that when we function, the way we're designed to function, in intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit, he unleashing his life through us, the world will look at the church and say, oh my goodness, so that's what God is like. We have the opportunity as the body of Christ to be the visible, tangible expression of the invisible God of the universe. And boy, that definitely takes this from a checklist to real and genuine and authentic life.
1: That's for sure. And, you know, as I went through and uh, began preparing for this series, Frank, one of my first uh, decisions that I made was that, oh, I'm going to make all this list of the one another's and I'm going to use it as a litmus test so that when I walk into a church, I'm going to look for these and say, well, okay, do they have this one? Do they have that one? And then the Holy Spirit said, No, son, you're missing the point entirely. This is not a litmus test for a church. This is designed to be a mirror for you. Mm-hmm. So, as I look at myself, do I evidence these one another's? And so, uh, my mindset went from, Yeah, I got it right. I'm pretty lofty to, Wow, I need to really take a hard look at
2: myself because the one another's begin with us. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. The Christ life in us, expressed through us. That's right. Wow. This is going to be, a, this is an exciting time. This is a, a positive, good um, call to be who we are and uh, fulfill why God designed this thing in the first place. That's it's right. It's wonderful.
1: So listeners, buckle your seatbelts. Uh, I have no idea how long this series will last. Um It's in the Spirit's hands, not ours, but uh, I think it's going to be fun. So let's begin. How many of you have have talked to someone and said, wow, I'd like to get to know you so that we can do life together? Well, that really sounds so nice, doesn't it? Uh, But I wonder what it means. So I began to look in Scripture. And if you do a comprehensive search, you'll find that the phrase one another occurs more than 50 times in the New Testament. And frankly, I gave up counting for so many. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the Apostle Paul said it 40 of those times, or even more than 40. And I thought it odd that the the champion of grace, the one who went toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, toe-to-toe with Apostle Peter, uh, his main focus was not doctrine. His main focus was that grace was grace in action. And mm. that above all things, grace is relational. And Frank, as I've been sitting under your ministry for who knows how many decades, you have consistently pointed that out, that grace is
2: relational. Mm. Yes. Um, you know, John, way back in the early 90s, when we began to give email, i uh, started my email account with the old company AOL. <laughs> I still have it to this day. And uh, what I did was I titled my email address, Grace is a Person. I, I think again, you know, we're, we're influenced in our American culture by Greco-European culture. And that culture was a culture of knowledge, of getting the facts. And the Eastern culture was more again, knowledge, but it was a different Greek word. It was the knowledge of experience. In fact, the ancient uh, monks taught that we do not have a right to say that we've come to know something until it changes our lives. And so grace is not a doctrine or a message, a theology, an economy for living. It's the person of Jesus Christ in us. And you will never find anyone more relational than God himself, for he is love. And that's why we were created in the first place. You know, we can't deserve to be created. So he created us to love us. And so we could share in this dynamic of the community of the divine. Uh, First shared between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity, and then we get invited into that community of love. And John, if I can make one more statement, this is a great danger, I think, in the movement of grace. We, I think, can focus so much on this concept of my identity, God lives in me. I have been set free from the law. I have been set free from bondage. I have been set free from my past and my sin. And those are all true. But here's the key. When the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians, Christ in you, our hope of glory, it's a plural you. It's Christ in y'all. He would have made a good Southern Baptist. And so this I don't know about that. <laughs> At least a good, shouther, a good <laughs> But this, I think the point he's making is the Christ's life is in you, but it will ultimately be experienced and worked out in your life as you work it out with the rest of the community. Uh, giving and receiving uh, between each other in a dynamic of the experience of the living God. This is incredible.
1: Yeah, it is. And when you're talking about the focus on grace being a doctrine and talking about freedom and all we have, I want to bring one more point to our remembrance and bring this to the attention of our listeners. As we talk about these one another's, it's okay to consider these as the imperatives, the commandments, so to speak, of the Mm -hmm. new covenant. Because you'll find out that every one of these one another's is an imperative. It's a command. It's something that we're simply instructed to do. But as Mm. we go through, we'll see something unique. Unlike the Ten Commandments, doing these isn't something we have to muster up. These are the things that Christ's life in us naturally will produce. Mm. We can work to hinder them. But if we walk hand in hand with him, walk in the spirit, this is the fruit he will produce in us. So we don't have to work. We just have to watch the fruit as we stay connected to the
2: vine. John, you have just made such an important point. It seems to me that in our modern movement of grace, if you will, whenever we tend to call people to an imperative verb, a command. I have heard so many people instantly respond, you're putting me under the law again. No, we're putting you under the life of Christ. <laughs> it's. I think that whenever you see an imperative verb, and this is so important, my friend, Steve Pettit, you know Steve real well. Yes. He says the establishing of the new covenant did not remove the imperative verb from the New Testament but how do they function? They don't function as something we do to get acceptance or something we do to merit righteousness. They are really a call to live out your identity. Uh, don't steal. Well, you're not a thief. <laughs> you know, uh, don't commit adultery. Well, you're not an adulterer. And then secondly, look at those imperatives as promises that when you're told to not steal, it's a promise that that's what the life of God in you does. It doesn't steal. It gives away. And so, like you said, as we're walking in union with the spirit, walking in faith, this is the kind of life it will produce. But, of course, we don't always walk well, well, and then we'll forfeit that experience. We don't forfeit the life, but we forfeit the experience of that life. So this is a a really important study so the church can be what it was created to be.
1: Well and, said, sir. Yeah. Wonderful. Well said. All right, let's dive in. One another, number one. And this comes from Philippians 2, 3. Show humility to one another. And here's the verse. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Frank, we got to be honest here. This verse isn't difficult. Without Christ, it's flat out impossible. It absolutely is. Uh, have you tried to do nothing from selfishness? How far, without Jesus, how far do you get, man?
2: <laughs> yeah, this goes back to what we said in our introduction, John. This life is supernatural. It's not that we try to imitate Jesus. I mean, that was tried in the Garden of Eden, and it didn't turn out very well. We only imitate Jesus' method where he lived from the father. And then the father produced that life in him. That's the same method we do. We live by faith. And then he produces this life in us, which is supernatural to not only look on your own needs, but regard others as more important. Uh, That's what Jesus did. He washed the feet of his disciples on the night before he's going to be crucified. No normal natural human being would ever think of doing that to somebody else on the night before they're going to die. That's supernatural. Right. And you have an enemy, Frank. So do I. So
1: do all of us. And the last thing our enemy wants is for us to trust our father to make this verse true in our lives. Galatians 5 tells us that we are in a war not a skirmish. We're in a war and flesh wars against anything related to the spirit. So when Paul tells us to do nothing from selfishness, that means that the flesh is going to be right there telling us, yeah, go right ahead. Let's do this from selfishness. And Paul reminds us that this is going to be an obstacle. You're going to have to get over some resistance and this resistance is going to be deeply entrenched in many of us and so it will be a fight it seems so unnatural to treat others better than we are and i I have this phrase that i've used uh, over the years it's really telling to see how the flesh works in my life the the phrase is this people who think they know everything really annoy those of us who do (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, doesn't that drip with uh, no selfishness? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's something I could hear you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Absolutely.
1: Well, let's dive a little more deeply into this, my friend. Let's look at the word "regard." Regard one another as more important than yourselves. If you're a King James fan, which I am, the word is "esteem." And this is not a passive thing. It is a conscious decision. It's a purposeful choice on our part. So I looked this up, Frank. Mm -hmm. And literally this word regard or esteem means to lead the way. In other words, we are going to have to make the first step to be leaders in this kind of thinking. Because as we look around, Showing humility to other people just isn't common, even in the body of Christ. So Mm -hmm. we're going to have to be bold and make the first step, which, as you know, my friend, is always hard to do when you stick out like a sore thumb that way,
2: isn't it? Yes. And again, I want to we'll probably keep coming back to this thought throughout this study, John, because we we don't want people to get the wrong idea. This is not something that we've got to muster up and fight to do. It's something that is a choice of the mind. Remember, he said with humility of mind. So it's the choice to think correctly about ourselves and about others. Many people mistakenly think that humility is thinking lowly of yourself. No, no, no. Biblical humility is thinking correctly about yourself. And here's the key. It's thinking correctly about others. So in the body of Christ, if I'm gonna function in humility, I have to make the choice to think about John the way God thinks about John. So when I look at John, I see a child of God. I see a son of the king. I see a prince. How do I treat a prince? With honor, respect, and dignity, see? And I get a proper humility, a correct decision about who Christ says I am. I am a vessel of his life. So I'm a vessel of love and service. And this is how this is going to be lived out. It's not that I have to go, oh, I've got to go serve him. It's that I think correctly and by faith unleash what's already true about me and already true about the others. And there's one other verse I think I would bring up at this point, John, and that is 2 Corinthians I believe it's chapter five, where he says, we no longer look at any man after the flesh. And boy, you talk about a choice of the mind, because we can look at the externals of a person. We can look at the way they act and say, Ugh, I don't want to serve them, let alone even know them, but we have to see them through the eyes of Christ. And that's where this is going to be kicked into action. It's almost like when we make that choice, we turn the key of a V8 engine. Our responsibility is not to produce the power of the engine. It's just to turn the key. And then that life within us gets unleashed. Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah. When I thought about this, Frank, uh, my mind settled on the fact that This word means to lead the way, to take the first step, to be a leader. And you know this, but our listeners don't. Uh, Before I retired a few years ago, I served as vice chancellor for research at a major research university. And I just wanna explain a little about how that worked and how it matches what we're supposed to do here. I would walk into a meeting as the vice chancellor I knew that I was comfortable with it. I was confident in who I was. No matter how these people reacted to what I'd say, I knew that my position was secure. And so because I didn't need them to reinforce that I was the vice chancellor, I could relax and do everything I can to lift them up, to empower them. You know, to say, Dr. X, uh, I think you can do do this task. Uh, What do you need from me to make that happen? Dr. Y, I think you'd be great at this. Man, let's work together to get this done. And so I don't need them to reaffirm back to me who I am. I already know who I am. Mm. And I just stepped into that role because it was who I was in their eyes so I think about this and I think about how hard it is for a, a believer to step into the lead in just about anything. It's hard. But the truth is that because we are absolutely secure in our relationship with Christ, we are secure as his kids. We are princesses and princes. No one can take that away from us. And so we can serve others, we can esteem them higher than we esteem ourselves. We just basically stoop down and lift them up, come Mm. underneath them, because we're already esteemed by God. And this is simply an
2: expression of what we were created to be like. Right. And that's because who he is in us. You know, if you look at the life of Jesus, he was constantly undergirding others, lifting them up, serving them. And John, I think it's fascinating that in that passage, that word in Philippians means to take the lead because that is exactly the same thought in the book of Titus. When they translate it, be careful to engage in good deeds. Uh, That's not a good translation. (laughs) It's praisthenia in the Greek, and it means take the lead. John, I believe that as believers, we are to lead the way. We are to be the best servants, the best worshipers, the best givers, not as something we manufacture, but as something we release. It's already in us because Christ is in us. And that's not putting people under law. It's putting people under life. And we've got to make that distinction. That's right. So
1: friends, here's your daily question. And it's not only a daily question for today, it's really a daily question for every day. And it's this, Father, how can I exalt someone else today? Mm-hmm. Whom, have, whom have you already selected that I might exalt? Uh, would you mm-hmm. please show me who it is and how? Because, you know, Frank, once we say, well, I have to exalt somebody, we can hurry and bustle around and become more annoying than exalting. <laughs> you know, exalting is somewhat something that, you know, someone's ready to receive, someone needs to receive. Father knows who that is. Mm-hmm. And he knows exactly how we can minister that to them. So this is a spirit-led obedience. Not just an obedience, it's a spirit-led obedience to really bear fruit
2: it's dependence man it's walking hand in hand just as we always say yeah that's exactly right and we don't have to worry about exalting everyone in the world (laughs) that's (laughs) right only exalt the people within our intimate sphere of influence as we have opportunity and as we're led to do so Uh, he's in us he's life and we can trust him to express his life as he works it in through us, and you know, John, this kind of leads to something I think I'd like to address here, and that is the eleventh commandment that you and I, uh, <laughs> came, <laughs> oh, that thing again, <laughs> came up with so many years ago. You know, we're all born narcissists. We shall all be like God with the lie of Adam, and then we learn that God's in control. It's His show. And we in the new covenant can learn to not take ourselves so seriously so that we can just function in his life at rest. And yet he might express his life in a very busy way as we are at rest. Wonderful.
1: Examples, Frank. When I think about examples, two thoughts come to mind. One is John the baptizer. Matthew 11:11 11, 11. He is the greatest in the kingdom. But you know he said about Jesus, he must increase and mm-hmm. I must decrease. How did he get that? Well, he got that from his cousin Jesus. Consider Jesus. Jesus created everything, Frank. Yet he came to this world as a helpless infant. Philippians 2 says that he willingly, voluntarily emptied himself. He took every ability, every trait, every characteristic of God, and he laid it aside and stepped into that infant. Not only did he leave aside his godhood willingly, but in John 10, he says, Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. So he made everything and then he gave up everything. Now, my friend, that's humility. Uh, that's, that's what's inside of us because his life is in us. If we will walk in obedience and trust him to make that happen. Wow. You know, that's really a, a life checking concept right there isn't it
2: yeah it really is and you know i had a thought pop in my mind of course first of all the verse that we reflected on when we began jesus said of himself he did not come to be served but to serve and you think about that john that's the king of the universe saying that and he came to serve what he created creator is serving his creation. That's, that's just mind-boggling. right? And then that's the life that is in us. So our life is about serving others. And I mentioned my, our friend, Steve Pettit. I think it's this popped into my brain. It's worth mentioning here. He says, you know, if we really understand the new covenant, we will lay hold of the fact that Jesus did not come to make us successful at anything but to make us sacrificial in everything. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Wow, it is. And if we walk into a church with our little
1: checklist of one another's and we look for this level of humility, Frank, we're going to have a hard time finding it, which Mm -hmm. is why it has to begin with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Father, Mm. Make us humble, please reflect this humility of Jesus in us. Mm. Wow. And, and, you know, you could say, well, of course, of course, he could be that humble. He was God. He could do anything. Uh, I'm not God. So I can't be that humble. But that's not the case. He gave, uh, he emptied himself of every God attribute. And in this empty state, this is what he did, Frank. He gritted his teeth. He trusted his father, and he chose
2: willingly to be humble. Wow! Yeah, he he came as man to show man how to live by faith. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, do you remember our friend uh, Jim Long many years ago? Oh yes. Oh yeah. Uh, we used to get Jim Long's newsletter. He's with. He's home with Jesus now. And there was one little thing in that newsletter that my wife, Terry and I clipped out and taped to our refrigerator. And it was there for years. It was there so long that all the ends were curled up. And that little paper said this, the true test of a servant's heart is how you react when somebody treats you like a servant. Mm. And, you know, when I look at Jesus, uh, that's how, A God-fueled humility looks in the life of a person.
2: Hmm.
1: Wow. All right, one last last thought, man, and we're we're running out of time. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, The word humility in scripture, you and I talked about this. I'm going to try my best to say this word, Frank, but I'm not going to guarantee it. Topainafrasune. Topainafrasune. (laughs) <laughs>
2: this yeah, is, that, ought, that ought to humble everybody who tries I know to that. say Boy, it
1: <laughs> i'm trying to say that word it's a compound <laughs> word and uh it's in scripture but apparently outside of scripture it's not common not until about 200 or so years later so the cool thing is that this concept of humility frank was so unique in the minds of the people that the Holy Spirit had to coin a new word to Mm. describe how we should treat each other. And, uh, you know, that's really cool because the kingdom of God in our lives changes so many things. Why
2: wouldn't he change
1: our language too to reflect the new things he's doing?
2: Mm. You know, that's amazing, John, because we are a supernatural brand new creation. We are no longer buying the lie That we shall be as God, having all of life revolve around us, but we are expressions of the true God and his life and love through us. So it's amazing that the Holy Spirit had to coin a word because this life called the Christ life is so radical. Heaven sent to planet Earth. Wow.
1: Well, my friend, we didn't get very far today. We did only one. Uh, We'll try to do better next time. But uh, as we wrap it up, uh, dear brother, any last comments
2: for our listeners? Oh, John, I just think one last reminder that we're not being called to manufacture this. We're called to live by faith, and it will be fruit from the Holy Spirit expressing his life in our life. That's right. Just trust him. He'll keep his word, man. He will
1: keep his word. Uh, Dear friends, you've been listening to Frank and John on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We've been talking about the one and others, which is our unique take on life in the body of Christ. Uh, We invite you to join us again next time. Visit our website, ourresolutehope.com. Check out the growing list of resources that we've got there. Uh, Sign up for our newsletter. Let us hear from you visit the newest part of our website, our members portal, become a member. It's free and you get access some of the, to some of the oldy moldy things that we're pulling out of the vault uh, to put there for our, our members. We've got a number of books available on Amazon. Just search under the name Frank Friedman. You'll find them. And don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and all the platforms that carry our podcast. And as always, we close with this reminder And it's from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter called it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. It's a steadfast bedrock kind of hope. It's immovable. It's Jesus. So today and always, choose that hope. Choose Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com. And check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.